Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. I am going to read you his bio and then I will let him introduce himself a little more thoroughly. Jared Brown, Ph.D., M.A., MS, MS is a professor, trainer, researcher, and consultant with multiple years of experience teaching collegiate courses. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies. Jared has also provided consultation services to a number of caregivers, professionals, and organizations pertaining to topics related to autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, confabulation, suggestibility, trauma, and other life adversities, traumatic brain injury, TBI, and youth fire setting. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, ASD, other health disabilities, OHD, and traumatic brain injuries, TBI. So thank you, Jared, for joining us today. Of course, thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. And that was your official bio. And why don't you just for a minute, just tell us a little bit about yourself that's not in the bio. Yeah, you bet. I live in Minnesota, and my wife and I live here in Minnesota, and I've been working in the field of mental health for multiple years. I'm also a professor. I I do a lot of teaching classes. Most of the classes I teach are at the graduate level, students that are seeking degrees related to forensic behavioral health and trauma and different topics related to the world of trauma. One of the places where I teach, I run uh, two separate master's degree programs that are related to a lot of the topics that we're going to be talking about today and just really find it fascinating and really interested in learning more about the brain and how to bring that knowledge to caregivers and professionals and organizations to hopefully help them enhance the good work they're already doing, but maybe give them some other resources and tools they weren't maybe familiar with. Right, and I think that is so important because I heartily believe in the trickle-down effect. Like if you can get a hold of one person who is 
teaching children or counseling children or working with children, then that effect will trickle down. And I am so glad that these studies are being done and that you were teaching about them because when we adopted our children in 2000, it was very difficult. And trauma wasn't a word that you heard very often. And that's why I'm so excited that you're going to talk about trauma today and just give us an overview. So I will let you take the reins and I might interject once in a while, but you talk about it. You share your expertise with us. Absolutely. So trauma, big, big term, lots of different dimensions that fall under the umbrella of trauma. If you're a human being, you've been impacted by trauma mm. directly or indirectly. We're all affected by this in some capacity. Just being in the era of COVID-19, that's really a collective type of trauma. So everything I talk about today, just just think about it within that era of COVID-19. The research coming out on that's really showing that it's really amplified a lot of stress, worry, and hardship and uncertainty for so many people, especially for people with special needs. Lots and lots of research coming out on that to support that as well. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that throughout today. Right. I, yeah, I would, I would say because I've had a lot of parents contact me the past two and a half years with issues that are new or um, maybe just come up to the surface again, that their children were dealing with extreme anxiety to the point where they couldn't go to school and things like that. So, yeah. It's, it's been trauma. <laughs> it is huge. So think of trauma. It can be in an event where someone actually experienced it. It could be an indirect event where maybe they had a very close friend or family member have something really traumatic happen to them. Hmm. And just the very nature of hearing those stories, we need to be aware of like secondary trauma. And if anyone listening to this is working in the helping professions, you're probably very familiar with the topics of like empathy fatigue and compassion mm. fatigue and vicarious trauma and burnout. Those are things to think about. Trauma can be a one-time event, maybe like a car accident or mm -hmm. someone's in like a flood or fire. It can come in multiple types of events. So maybe a child growing up in a home where there's been a lot of abuse and they've experienced that abuse over a long period of time. That's really complex for developmental trauma. There's man-made dimensions to trauma. There's natural events. There are individual and group dynamics. So when we think of group dynamics, think of like collective types of trauma. And if we were to break that down even more, if you, you really study the trauma research, you probably come across the term acute trauma. If you hear right. me talk about acute trauma today, really think of that traumatic event really occurring at a specific time and place so it's very short-lived doesn't mean it's not still very traumatic and it can be life-altering to the individual but it's at a particular time and place so it could be that car accident or a sudden loss of a loved one and then you have chronic types of trauma developmental trauma complex trauma complex PTSD this again is going to be typically when a child is growing up in a home where there's a lot of abuse or neglect 
or chaos. Maybe they're living in poverty. They're dealing with some food insecurity. And even being aware of like structural oppression and racism. Mm. And then, then you have collective, or we, you have more like historical types of trauma or like intergenerational transmissions of trauma. And some of the things you'd want to be aware of under that umbrella would be topics related to like slavery and segregation and oppression and marginalization and all of those things that we know, unfortunately, are all too common as well. So those are just some basic dimensions you'd want to be aware of. Some mm-hmm. of the bigger ones and bigger terms I think people probably have heard about is the adverse childhood experiences research. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely go deeper into that if you'd like. There's something called betrayal trauma as well, where just think of if a child is being abused by a caregiver. That is a form of betrayal trauma. Typically, when betrayal trauma happens, the perpetrator of that trauma is someone that person knows very well or trust, and it they just never saw it coming. Right. I was, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just thinking of a quote I just read by Dr. Dan Siegel. What happens is the the parents maybe who are um, causing the trauma are supposed to be the source of comfort. So how, who do you run to when that person is frightening and overwhelming and abusive and they're supposed to be your source of comfort? So I'm sure, you know, that's a huge trauma. It really is, and that really can fracture that person's attachment patterns, and it can really lead to a host of issues. Again, trauma can impact all of us differently, hmm. but as a whole, if someone has experienced horrific traumas for a longer period of time, the research really leads to the fact that it doesn't only impact the brain, but it has a significant impact on our body, so it can lead to growth problems it can lead to higher levels of inflammation in the body sleep issues digestive health problems the list goes on and on and on and the more traumas that that child was exposed to early on in life or in utero and if they didn't have proper supports and services in place there's a greater likelihood that person is going to grow up and have more mental health challenges more behavioral problems, more learning challenges, physical health issues. So it really can impact someone throughout their whole lifespan, even if the trauma happened early on in life and maybe you're working with adults right now. That's basically the adverse childhood experiences literature in a nutshell. But it's not uncommon, too, that trauma can really rob us of our joy or our creativity Mm. and It can have a profound impact on our energy and even our motivation and our self-control. So there's a lot of things that trauma can do. It really can impact everything from head to toe. So that is why one reason why it's so important to understand the topic of trauma as well as trauma-informed care. Right. I I agree so wholeheartedly. I mean, I remember the first time I learned in my... um, empowered to connect training that trauma affected the body the beliefs the behavior the biology like the five b's and i was thinking to myself well that's everything and absolutely it's everything and it basically throws out the old adage that 
oh, kids are resilient. They'll get over it. You know, that's one of the things that I heard in my childhood a lot. And I did have a lot of trauma in my childhood. But it was kind of this idea, which you're dispelling this myth, that kids will just get over trauma. They'll just forget about it. And yeah, we know from the research that is not probably going to be the case unless there have been supports and services put into place. That person had a, a good mentor, a good coach, someone that could help them guide through life, all the, the feelings that may be coming up. So just working with a counselor can be so helpful. Having just a positive friend, getting involved in sports. I'll talk a lot about interventions today, too. But absolutely, it can impact people throughout their entire lifespan. Even if they haven't had any trauma happen to them in several years, the trauma from childhood can impact them on a cellular level. It can impact them on a neurological level. It can impact them on a well-being level. It can really impact their brain that's responsible for decision-making. I can definitely talk about executive function today, if you'd like, Mm -hmm. and why that's so important to be aware of. And it really has a profound impact on social cognition. And if you're not familiar with that term, social cognition is really the umbrella term for how we integrate information and process it and use it and understand it in the social arena. So if you've ever worked with someone that has a lot of deficits in the area of making friends or playing with other kids appropriately or just knowing how to start conversations and using empathy appropriately and having good perspective taking trauma has been shown to impact all of those domains of functioning as well well that yeah i would i'd love to know more about that because how do you help a child i'll give you an example from my own family where one of my children would struggle with all of those things that you just listed, making friends, um, spending time with other people and being able to say the socially acceptable things. And it got to the point where he would mention to me, well, I can't wait to get together with this person because they have this toy or this game. And can you use that as a springboard to teach them something? about social interaction? Well, so we should definitely do a talk on social skill limitations through a trauma lens. There's so many things to think about that could be contributing to social skill deficits. I'll give you a few right now. Okay. You gotta be aware of the topic of joint attention. Mm-hmm. Mind mindfulness would be a good term for folks to be aware of. The topic of theory of mind, which relates to perspective taking Mentalization is another very important term for folks to be aware of. When we think of social cognition, under that umbrella, you're also going to have elements of empathy, group behavior dynamics. We also need to be aware of social and emotional intelligence, Mm. as well as pragmatic language abilities, just to name a few. There's so many moving parts when we talk about social skills and social limitations, so... What about attunement, their level of creativity, just the way in which they are able to articulate things during times of stress. If these children are completely dysregulated and they have a really hard time controlling their emotions, that is another factor. Basically, that's called inhibition, which falls under the umbrella of executive function. So those would just be a 
few areas we want to maybe dig a little bit deeper into, but there's a lot of things we can do obviously to help, but first and foremost, really understanding some of those dynamics and moving parts that contribute to why some kids may have problems in the area of that social arena. And trauma is a big disruptor of that, unfortunately. Well, I'm taking notes. And so listeners, maybe you're taking notes too, because these are things that we do need to dig into if we want to help our children. So, yeah. Absolutely. And what happens if someone too, give you an example, if they've had a long history of trauma, they've been minimized, they've been invalidated, they've dealt with a lot of rejection, bullying, teasing, that can really contribute to more personal stigma problems, which basically under that umbrella, the person probably is going to have higher levels of shame or self-esteem issues. They can have lower levels of like self-efficacy, so where they really just don't believe in their own abilities in some cases. So they might be more reluctant to even take a chance in talking to someone. Maybe they dealt with a long history of social isolation and they just never developed that skill to talk to other people. And there's a whole bunch of research on facial feature like recognition deficits. In some cases, people with extensive trauma histories may also have a hard time looking at other people's facial features and actually decoding like sadness or joy or happiness or disbelief. And I don't want to throw too much more at your audience, but another topic it's imperative to understand when we talk about this is something called alexithymia. Mm. And alexithymia is an emotional awareness deficit. It's almost like emotional blindness where that person has a real hard time naming emotions and labeling them and understanding them. And when that's the case, that can also be one factor of many that could get in the way of that person being able to be in healthy relationships. It can lead to empathy deficits. It can lead to intimacy problems as the person gets older. So a lot of things to think about, but we can definitely break these apart in future episodes if if that would be helpful. I think that would be very helpful. Um, because one of the, I'm going to back up here a second when you were talking about facial recognition, one of my children really, really struggled with that. And I ended up making little flashcards for him and we would practice with the mirror, what angry looked like, what sad looked like, what happy looked like. And then years later, when my son was mentoring, um, a boy with autism, he used those same cards and they did a lot of role playing with toys and things like that so that i think that is a huge issue that yeah. i would love to spend more time on and and then the other one is alexithymia when you were talking about that and the empathy here's a pattern that i have seen in my and i'm air quoting counseling adoptive and foster parents and parents of kiddos with capital letter syndromes like add adhd fasd etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I find that the parents end up fostering or adopting because they had trauma in their early childhood. And so they assumed, myself included, that because they had trauma that they're equipped to help these kiddos because they know what it's like. 
But what I find is all of these issues that you're speaking of, the social cognition, the alexithymia, uh, all of these trauma issues are now coming up. They're being triggered by their own children that they have brought into their home to raise. So I think it's something we should dig into because parents need to know, hey, it's okay to get help for yourself so you can help your children. Can't agree more. And another good reason why it's important not only for professionals to understand trauma and trauma-informed care, but also for caregivers and loved ones. Because if we can just understand these approaches, we're gonna be in a much better position to support healing and support positive change and positive growth for the people around us. And this is just as important too, if you are working in an agency or run a company, infusing this into the work you do to support the staff that you have too. There's trauma-informed leadership, there's resilience-based leadership approaches, there's all kinds of things that can help an agency thrive as well. Yeah, I agree. When my husband and I were teaching um, an Empowered to Connect course for adoptive parents, one of the attendees, the husband would run up at the end of every single class and say, hey, I'm using this stuff at work. I'm using this with my employees because I'm a manager and everything that you're teaching us about attachment and connecting and brain science, I'm using it and it's working. And I was like, yes, yes. Because th that's why we need to know it. We don't need to know it just to know it. We need to know it because it can help our families and our communities and our kids' church. If we're working in kids' church, this is super important if you're working with children. And so, yeah, the trickle-down effect again. Can't agree more. We want to know the concepts. We want to know the research. But then how do we apply it and actually use it in day-to-day -day life is, is very important. And what I found helpful when I consult on cases with different groups or organizations through a trauma-informed lens, a couple questions I always ask myself is the approaches that we're incorporating or using, does it help that person or client or whatever organization you're working for, if it's, or if it's one-on-one -on -one or, or parenting, are we using approaches that help that individual mm. feel valued and respected? Okay. Are we doing things that help that person not ever feel shamed or isolated or abandoned or ignored or rejected? If we do the opposite of those things and we, we use approaches that are shaming or kind of ignoring the individual or not making them feel welcomed or safe, that that's the complete opposite of having a trauma-informed mindset. And we may be doing things we don't even realize that could be trauma triggers for some people. So those are a few things to keep in mind as we kind of think about moving in a trauma-informed mindset. Kathleen, are you okay? I kind of share some basic principles about trauma-informed care, what that really means. Sure. So if you haven't had training in trauma-informed care, I mean, this is out there everywhere. Most organizations that provide like helping services, mental health, criminal justice, even medical providers, I think they're starting to become more aware of this stuff. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but it is getting better. And when you think of trauma-informed care, it's really at a systems-wide approach where you're looking at your policies, your procedures, 
your practices, kind of what you do in that organization that can help the people you serve as well as your staff feel safe and valued and heard. It's really focused in empowerment and like hopeful thinking. Hmm. A lot of trauma-informed approaches are, are focused through a collaboration lens too, where we want to be able to collaborate with other organizations, other professionals, because we don't have all the answers. Not one person can do all these things because so many different things are usually going on when you're working with a client who has these extensive trauma histories. You want to take into, into account cultural considerations, okay. historical considerations as it relates to the people you're serving, as well as gender considerations. Hmm. That, that Those are some of the core principles. So at the core of becoming trauma-informed, you're really committed to understanding the different dynamics of trauma and then what impact it has on the brain, the body, our learning capabilities. We're really focused on having that foundation of safety kind of laid. Because without that, if a client doesn't feel safe, it's hard to get traction. So we really want to help that client feel safe by the way in which we use our words, our body language, our tone, our eye contact, everything. So forming safety and trust that can take time for some people because if they've had a long history of trauma, they may not trust anybody. So really taking that into account. At the core of this too, you're really helping that person, really teaching them skills to help gain greater control of mm. their own emotions, giving them the tools, the resources to help them regain control. Because a lot of times, a lot of folks that have had these extensive trauma histories may also have a lot of self-regulation deficits so teaching them some self-regulation deficits is not a bad thing at all providing choice is recommended and doing things that really promote healing through positive relationship building and always emphasizing that recovery is possible so really being aware of how hopeful you are and optimistic and i would also infuse in there gratitude resilience, really promoting joy, helping that person be able to thrive, to hmm. achieve. I'm not saying they're going to be cured. A lot of these folks may not be completely cured from the trauma, but it's going to be much more manageable. Their quality of life usually goes up. So helping them restore power is really focused on that strength-based perspective and empowerment. And then this hopefully will trickle down into helping that client develop greater self-worth so they have more greater self-esteem higher levels of self-compassion and acceptance and respect for themselves and others i'll stop there kathleen i can go a lot deeper into that but i want to see if you had any other no i think i think that is a really great overview i was taking notes furiously and it really makes me feel good because i am on the right track I was just writing the other day. It's a it's a it's just a little PDF I'm going to offer for free. But I talk in this PDF, I talk about felt safety because felt safety is not the same as safety. And you mentioned that a lot of people who have had a lot of trauma, it's going to take them a long time before they feel safe with you. Even if you're 
in an environment that you're you're thinking this is 100% safe. They can see the door, they can exit. You know, I'm thinking of all the things that people like um, one of my sons, it was like he always had to see the door and know that he could exit at any time. And those sorts of things, you know, those are real things. That's feeling safe is so much more important than actually being safe. And you mentioned the relationship you form with that person. I think that's like number one. If that person Hmm. trusts you, feels safe with you, that is so important. Without that, it's so hard to teach someone skills and stuff. Hmm. So really forming relationships with that person in a healthy, positive manner. And really at the practitioner level, at the individual level, if people really want to start infusing this, focusing on your own self-care is so important. Mm, Yes. Staying regulated, staying calm during whatever intervention you're teaching because you're modeling that behavior to that other individual. And then we're really going to be focusing on that strengths approach. It's obviously important to understand the person's weaknesses and limitations and disorders and disabilities. But you don't want to make that the sole focus. You really want to capitalize on that person's strengths and hobbies and interests and skills and really capitalize on that and empower them to have a greater sense of belief and confidence in themselves that things can get better that they have the tools to do it. They just maybe need like a coach or a mentor, someone there to walk alongside them to kind of help navigate things because some of these individuals may be dealing with a lot of other secondary disabilities or different types of brain-based impairments where they do need someone like an external brain or some sort of external mentor or coach to kind of help them through life in some cases. So right. those are some things you'd want to think about at the individual level. Yes, I, I agree. And, you know, um, co-regulation or didactic regulation, as Dr. Dan Siegel calls it, is, you know, some kids need that through their teen years, and some people need that through their adult years because of FASD and other capital letter syndromes. And so we have to keep that in mind, but that doesn't mean that there isn't hope. That doesn't mean that they can't thrive. That means that just as much as one person needs to go to a doctor for a broken leg, another person needs to go to a counselor or have someone who is their mentor or their co-regulator for the rest of their life. And that's okay. We need to let go of all those stigmas that have just really been part of our culture for so many years and really help people thrive. And I'm so glad you said that about shame because so many practices that people have used to help others, especially kiddos, and it's about the behavior and it's about how are they behaving and shame-based punitive responses to that behavior instead of what's the need behind that behavior? What does that child need? What's going on? What can they not regulate? What What's overwhelming them? And so I appreciate that you said that. And we're going to have to finish up for today. So what are your final, for just for today, your final words on um, your overview of trauma? 
Well, absolutely. So we covered a basic overview of trauma, a basic overview of trauma-informed care, but there is quite a bit of research studies that talk about trauma-informed parenting specifically as well. So when if you go through the research, if you've gone through training specifically on trauma-informed parenting, the common themes that come up is you're going to be using parenting approaches that are warm, empathetic, compassionate, really rooted in attachment-based approaches. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to model appropriate self-regulation to the child. That, that's talked about a lot. So again, well-regulated parents oftentimes help children become well-regulated adults. You're focusing on empowerment. You're focusing on connection with that child in a healthy, positive manner where you're setting appropriate boundaries, but you're doing it in a warm and kind and empathetic kind of response. You're also really focusing on building a support network because we can't do it ourselves. So we really want to be aware of taking care of ourselves, good self-care. Maybe it's a good family therapist or joining Mm. a parenting support group where you can be with other people that are going through something similar where you know you're not alone and you have an opportunity to process things and then part of that is just taking good care of ourselves eating healthy exercising setting limits getting good sleep reducing our screen time all of these things so that would be kind of the just a basic general overview of trauma-informed parenting that we can absolutely go deeper into in the future I think that would be wonderful. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Jared. You're welcome. Honored to be here. And thank you for allowing me to chat with you and your audience. Oh, you're welcome. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.